Hello and welcome to this Kaban Professional Learning Podcast, aiming to present the essential ideas in initial teacher education in manageable chunks. Welcome, or welcome back if you've tuned in previously. Either way, great to have you with us. This pod is slightly different from the usual fare as it deals specifically with supporting ATs or student teachers as they undertake some practitioner research, which is a key part of their course, whether they're third year undergrads or PGC students. So let's get the health warning out of the way first. This is never going to be a substitute for reading up on the ideas presented here or engaging in a professional learning discussion or learning experience, but it should give you the absolute bare bones of the thing so you have a foundation and know where to go next. There will be some recommended reading at the end if you want to follow up on any ideas mentioned here. This episode is an introduction to the practitioner inquiry projects that CAB and ATs have to complete and covers some of the brief they're given. Whilst it is specific to CAB and courses assignments, it will certainly be of use to others who are supporting students or colleagues in practitioner research work. The inclusion of practitioner inquiry work in our ITE courses follows work from Welsh Government on developing a national approach to professional inquiry piloted through the NPEP projects and supported with materials on Hub. So let's get a few introductions out of the way. If you didn't know, Caban Bangor is the teacher training partnership based in North Wales, comprising Bangor University, the Collaborative Institute for Education, Research, Evidence and Impact, Kiri, GWARE, the North Wales School Improvement Service and North Wales Regional Consortia, and our lead and network schools located across the region. And I'm Graham, hosting this pod. I work at the School of Educational Sciences at Bangor University and work across the teacher education programmes Caban Bangor offers. I have a background teaching outdoors, involving science, physical education, and adventure education, but I'm also keen to explore how technology can support learning at all levels, hence producing these pods. And I'm an active researcher, also involved in practitioner inquiry. I was fortunate to be part of the team that was commissioned to present material to the Welsh Government as they developed the national approach to practitioner inquiry, and some of the evidence I presented is available linked in the description at the end of this. So first of all, let's start by considering what we mean by professional inquiry. It's something that is done by practitioners when they want to find out something about usually their practice, and in this case, about how effective an aspect or intervention or change in that practice can be. It's usually very small scale, working with one class or even a small group of children, may be delivered over one or two lessons, and involves a deeply personal interaction with both the research process and the analysis of data. We'll cover what data means in this context a little bit later on. We're not dealing with large-scale or randomised control trials type research. We're operating very much in the interpretivist paradigm, which means we're not usually looking for a numerically measurable effect or even directly replicable results, but we do want replicable procedures. More on that later. In fact, one of the biggest difficulties students find, and sometimes those supporting students as well, is that this type of research doesn't fit the stereotypical or media-presented type of research that takes a positivist approach, or perhaps something like the X-Files, as you might consider if you remember Mulder and Scully, who were searching for the fact that the truth is out there, in that it is looking for the truth. That's not what happens here. Popular science suggests we need big percentages, large sample groups, and we control all the variables. What we're measuring is definitely the direct result of what we're changing. It's a bit like when we teach children about dependent and independent variables. We control them all to make a fair test. 
I've already highlighted my background as as a science educator, and that's certainly something which came as an answer frequently. The problem is, in real life, with real people as participants and subjects of the research, it's very hard, if not impossible, to control all the variables. So what we often do is follow a cyclical approach, following an idea first first suggested by Kurt Lewin in the late 1940s, which considers or identifies a problem, plans to do something to impact that problem, does the thing that is planned, and then reviews the impact of that action before continuing to another cycle that looks at where we are now based on the first cycle and what needs changing. This way of approaching research is called action research, as it involves action and change, and is usually the practitioner who's doing both the action and the research. By its nature, it often, but not exclusively, deals with data, i.e. not measurable effects with numbers. Often, it might use observations, reflective journals, focus groups or individual interviews, questionnaires and the like to collect information or data on the impact of the action. You can find out more about action research in some of the reading linked in the description. And if you're part of the Kaban lesson study program, then you're already doing action research as lesson study is one way of doing this. ATs and student teachers take part in action research driven practitioner inquiry projects partly to develop their own ideas about teaching and learning. As they get towards the end of their ITE courses, they need to develop the independence in continuing to develop. And partly as this is an expected process for teachers to improve themselves as they move through their careers. So therefore they need to develop the researcher skills. It should hopefully go without saying that research skills are not the same as teaching skills. And up until quite recently, it was often the view that research skills came only with a master's course or for dedicated researchers. The work done by my colleagues and I presented a methodology and then justified that methodology to the Welsh Government, and this contributed to policy decisions to embed practitioner inquiry in the research culture of schools, ITE providers like Caban Banga, and in higher education institutes, schools of education. They're not always the same thing. Wales is unique in that not only do we have a national professional approach to inquiry, but we also now have collaborative research networks set up and seed funded by the Welsh Government to curate all this type of research so that when policymakers need an answer on some aspect of education, there is a ready pool of research material in a form that is accessible and can influence policy decisions. We also have the unique hub platform, which offers a great place to share this research and findings so they don't stay locked in university libraries or inaccessible journals, but can be seen by teachers and used in schools to improve things for all the children in every school. There are around 50 practitioner inquiry studies available on hub, which is linked in the description below, which report on the projects facilitated by the MPEP pilot. That's the National Professional Inquiry Project. And there is also a repository held by Cardiff Metropolitan University of the practitioner inquiry projects from the Masters in Educational programme that has now been superseded by the National MA. More on all of those later. Cabin ATs or student teachers go through a process when they learn the research skills to undertake a small scale practitioner inquiry project as part of their degree or PGCE. They have taught sessions on the methods and underpinnings of practitioner inquiry, which include the steps to get them ready to actually do an inquiry project. They have to first identify an area that they wish to develop, and we guide them to look at personal targets set from their previous school experiences, and hence noted on their school experience reports, or things that are noted in their placement school's action plan that require some form of investigation. They then need to develop this into a proposal, Sometimes this is just discussed with the tutor, sometimes it's presented more formally and marked as part of the assessment process. 
Once they get to school or if they've decided on a topic whilst they're at school, then they need to review literature connected with the topic that will highlight the methods they might use or interventions they might employ to address the issue they've chosen. Hopefully, by the time they get to you in schools, they have an idea of what they will be investigating and will need help and support to shape these ideas. The literature they review will also help them identify what they should expect to happen, even if they're doing something which is original. The important thing is, is that the ideas and eventually plans they derive from these ideas are thoroughly grounded in published literature. So they are not just good ideas or anecdotal findings as to what more anecdotal feelings as to what might work. Part of the research process involves carefully considering and planning an intervention to address an issue or target. As mentors, your role is to support this process. Even if you're not familiar with the literature yourself, you can ask the why type questions to ensure that the ATs have considered their actions and what they might expect. They may ask for your help and experience in planning. It's okay to help them in this. At this point, we're not assessing their teaching ability, but their research skills. So if they need some help to get the lesson planned or the activity together, it's okay to offer assistance. But you've also got to use your professional judgment as to where the balance between this sort of support approach and doing it for them lies. It's also helpful to remind them to attend to the project work fairly early on in their placements. So they've got time to maybe pilot the intervention, do a dress rehearsal, see if it's practical to employ and in, in what they've planned, to do the intervention, the actual thing where they're going to be collecting data, whether that's one or two lessons, or maybe it's a five minute slot every day for a week, depending on their intervention, and then have time to think about and write up the results. We usually suggest that they ask you to observe and have a specific thing to look at for as their major data. Not in the same way you would do for a pedagogy assessment form, but specifically for the inquiry project. So it's not useful to combine the two things together. This, the practitioner inquiry project needs a separate observation. At a minimum, we would expect their data to be your observations and their reflections and evaluations. And sometimes it can include samples of anonymized children's work, or in some cases, they might want to do focus group interviews with small groups of children. Whilst many are keen to do this, it's important to be very pragmatic about how this type of data or all of this sort of data collection and ask the question, will it add anything to the findings that hasn't already been captured in order to address the initial challenge? And will it yield too much data for them to adequately process in their reports? The reports are only over three to 5,000 words long, which really isn't very much to write about the literature planning and impact of their work. So sometimes too much data is a difficult thing to deal with. Finally, a word about ethics. Well, quite a few words actually, but perhaps something to guide you in supporting your ATs and students to carry out ethical research. Ethics involves considering the ethical and or moral aspects of the research process. There are some in-depth guidelines published by BIRA, the British Educational Research Association, and they're linked in the description. But ethics goes beyond the simple do no harm type mantra. It involves considering the impact of the research on the children, the school and the researcher, the AT in this case, and also ensures data protection and integrity. This has a number of implications and these are often considered in detail by an ethics committee after an ethics form is submitted. The difference here is that what Kanban ATs are doing should be investigating their normal practice when they're on their placement, or at least a small change to this in terms of their intervention. So it's usual for ethical oversight to be offered by the university link or subject tutor. If they have concerns with a proposal or from the AT, or if you do, it can be referred to the ethics committee for further scrutiny. One of the major ethical misconceptions ATs may often have is connected with their idea of what research is, as we discussed earlier. 
Because too many of the variables are out of our control, we are not looking at a pre and post test uh, type data from our intervention and directly comparing them. We're delivering an intervention and then monitoring, evaluating the impact of this intervention. Equally, the intervention must be delivered to all the children in a group to ensure they are treated fairly. If an intervention was carried out only with a small group within one class and had an unexpectedly positive effect on those children, between us, that's you, the AT, and to a lesser extent the university, we would have an ethical obligation to ensure that all the children in the rest of the class also receive that intervention. Sometimes that's difficult but not impossible to do, but perhaps consider a situation where the inverse is true and that would be really, really challenging. If all the children experience the same intervention, it is still possible to specifically evaluate its impact on just a small group. That again makes the data manageable, as we said earlier. But importantly, from an ethical point of view, the children will all have been treated fairly within our control. It's very hard to mitigate for children absent on the day of the intervention, but we're looking for what may be done reasonably to ensure equity. Connected with this is the ethical issue in this type of research with trying to compare data, however qualitative that may be, from before and after the intervention in the pre and post test example cited above. As so many other things can and often do happen that will impact individual children and therefore the observed session. It's not possible then to directly attribute uh, a cause and effect observed through the intervention itself. Far better ethically and practically is to plan and deliver an intervention and then comment on its impact, evaluate its impact. The methods may be replicable with some expected results. So there is the methodological replicability I mentioned earlier, but we cannot say for sure that the results will be directly replicable because all children are different as are schools and individual researchers. This approach confronts the issue of researcher bias by acknowledging that the results are only directly applicable to that class taught by that teacher. They are still valuable as they offer a guide to other teachers and other situations in things that are likely to be effective, but these are more, they are more about improving the individual practitioner in their specific context. And that's the crux of the issue, really. These projects can benefit the individual AT directly as they are applicable to their practice and context and can support school colleagues in that they give an indication of strategies or interventions that may be effective if applied or deployed in light of the professional judgment of the teacher working with another class. So your role in supporting ATs is exactly that. Be there for them to discuss their ideas with, give them practical suggestions as to what they can do, help them by collecting data, your observations, and then understanding why some of those things happened. If you're motivated to engage in St. Patrick's Inquiry yourself, then you might like to consider the National Master's Programme offered by Bangor University, and in fact, all the HEIs across Wales, which each year has funded places available for teachers in their third to sixth year of teaching, if they're teaching in Wales. And this year, Welsh Government have also provided funded places for teachers in the Caban Partner Schools and Network Schools. If you'd like more information on the National MA, please contact Tanya Hathaway, who is the Director of the National MA at Bangor, and the email address in the description. Or if you don't think you qualify, or maybe that's not for you, maybe consider our part-time MA in Education Studies, which also engages in action research projects, as described above. And for that, you can contact Hugh Phillips, whose email is also in the description. If you'd like to know more about this topic, then there are some helpful books you might want to check out. Probably the obvious one or the best one is the Sage Handbook of Educational Action Research, which is an in-depth guide to methods and gives specific examples. 
You may also find the MPAT projects published on Hub and linked below give you an idea of how real schools have implemented this national approach to professional inquiry. If you've liked this pod, then consider leaving a review or a star rating wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. See you next time.